Welcome to Talks. I'm Mike Washburn. I'm a big Noah Geisel fan, and I couldn't think of a better person to kick this podcast off with than him. In our chat, we go all over the place. We talk about his beginnings as a foreign language teacher, his passion for badging to the point of running a conference about it, and his newest project, Hoffer Teacher. It's a great chat. At least I think so. Please don't forget, if you have comments, questions, concerns, or even ideas for future guests, reach out to me at podcasts at participate.com. Up next, Noah Geisel. Noah Geisel, welcome to Talks. Happy to be here, Mike Washburn. Thank you so much. I'm excited to uh, talk. For the first episode as well, which is exciting. Um, Before we get started, uh, I'd love to understand your background. I know a decent amount about you. We've hung out quite a bit, um, but I don't know what brought you to education and, and stuff like that. I'm interested in learning more about that. Uh, sure, absolutely. You know, my, my kind of path to education, I think, was a little non-traditional. I didn't come from a teaching family. I didn't grow up looking at teachers saying, that's going to be me one day. You know, for me, it was more, I want to serve my country. And uh, that that was just really something I had in me as a 17, 18-year-old, was looking to join in the Army Reserves as a way of doing mm. that had a really cool internship that I didn't want to give up for boot camp, And so that ended up not happening. And then I went to college and kind of got afraid of joining the military. And, and so was looking for new ways to serve. And it was in a moment when there was this nation in crisis, you know, kind of talk about all the pending teacher retirements over the coming decade. You know, this is 2001, 2000, 2001. And you know, I said, well, that's a way to serve humanity, not just my country. And so that was kind of how it started. I went to the Dominican Republic and taught there for a couple of years because I didn't have a education degree to get a job with. Came back, uh, d- dabbled in some film work, actually, that thought I was done with my service and then was living in Denver, Colorado as a result of the film work and realized that most days working film in Denver meant that I was a substitute teacher. There just isn't a lot of work here. And so I thought, you know what, I, I'm in love with Denver. I don't want to move to a coast and continue this film thing. What else can I do? And I thought, you know, I enjoyed that teaching thing. Maybe I'll do that again. And uh, I found it was very difficult to get hired as a high school English teacher with no credential, but I was able to get an alternative license to do Spanish. And so the plan was to do that for a couple of years, then take the praxis, switch over to English. But in those two years, I just fell in love with teaching high school Spanish. Loved it. So you talked about service, and I yeah. love that. And the idea that your job has to be something that's bigger than just, you know, earning a paycheck where you were at as well? I think there's an element of that for sure. I, I think it's a little bit of culture that I grew up in. I, I, I'm Jewish, and while we're not immensely religious, we're, we're definitely into the culture. And there's a, a thing called tzedakah, which I think probably translates loosely to like charity or giving back. But it, it's not okay. just financial, right? It, it's about... Um, not just, you know, giving, but serving. And there's another phrase, tikkun olam, which is to heal the world. And maybe that just kind of got hammered into me. And so, you know, when I found myself teaching, there is a sense of fulfillment that comes from it, that it's, you know, not just giving, you know, a donation, right? But like making a difference that you can see every day. And, you know, and but it's not entirely selfless. I also love teaching and 
Um, you know, for me, I'm somebody who just is not okay being unhappy in a job. A job needs to be something that brings me joy. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to leave it and find something else that will. And, you know, education does bring me joy and not just because of, you know, making a difference for kids. There's also just the creative challenges of every single day how to approach a lesson. You know, it, it's like you talked about steel. It's selling. Right. Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're coming into our classrooms with the currency of their time and engagement and they can spend that currency. You know, they can't save it. They have to spend it and they can spend it on Snapchat. They can spend it on passive notes. They can spend it on, you know, pulling up their hoodie and hiding earphones and listening to, to the new Drake song. Or, or they can spend it on, you know, our awesome lesson that we put together and sold. Right. Exactly. And, and you fell in love with Spanish. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. My, my Spanish was not good. You got by in the Dominican. Good enough to, to teach it, I guess. Right. But, you know, especially in those early days, whenever I'd meet, he, there's a lot of Spanish speakers in Denver. I'd meet folks, get to be friends. We'd be speaking Spanish. And I was always embarrassed to say I'm a Spanish teacher because, they, you know, they're hearing me thinking, what? And it, it took a long time. Yeah. And like anything else, there, there's so much imposter syndrome in our professional lives. And, mm. um, be getting comfortable speaking Spanish in front of other people who are adults who know Spanish is something that I really had to get over myself on because my grammar is not great. Um, I don't sound like a native speaker, uh, but, you know, I, I've had the opportunity last October to go give a keynote in, in Colombia, in Bucaramanga, yes. and I'm speaking to several hundred educators who very clearly know I'm not a native speaker of Spanish, but 45 minutes later, you know, there, there was... You know, nobody complained, you know, and, and they loved it. So, you know, sometimes you have to give yourself the grace that, that perfect, perfect looks different for a lot of people. That's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, a, a Jewish dude giving a Spanish speech in Colombia about games based learning. It's uh, <laughs> that's, you know, pretty interesting stuff there. Well, you and I have never shared this, but I, mean, I reached out to Mike and, and his co-host on another podcast, Glenn, in a panic. I and mean, I was freaking out, losing sleep, and I'm like, guys, help me. So, you know, I, but I know that, you know, whatever I've done, I've not done alone. I've never been afraid to ask for help. I'm not Christopher Columbus and just keep going. Like, I, I stop and ask directions every chance I get. <laughs> so how long did you teach Spanish for? In a, like, in what classroom? was It was high school Spanish? Predominantly high school. I, I did a year of being just the world's worst middle school Spanish teacher, for I mean, the majority of my adult life, uh, 12, 13 years. And I got to a point where I had an opportunity to either start saying no to a lot of professional development or right. start saying yes to most of it because I, I basically had two jobs. And so I decided, you know, I think the impact I can have right now is going to be, you know, bigger in this world. If I step away from, you know, my classroom of 175 students and focus on, you know, adults a little bit more and, you know, one day I'll probably, you know, go and teach Spanish again. I, I love it. It's there's always a need. Right now, it's really exciting to just have different challenges every day and opportunities to help um, other educators. What made you? You said a terrible middle school teacher. Horrible. What made you a terrible middle school teacher? Um, I know it was a combination of a few things. Hubris is definitely one of them. You know, I'm coming into their classroom as this award winning you know, nationally recognized Spanish teacher and sixth graders don't care about anyone outside nope. of themselves. And so awesome. that was a huge error on my part. And I, you know, I struggle, I put so much effort into the relationships and, and I just wasn't good at it. I came in, you know, treating them as little high schoolers mm. as opposed to big little kids. And, 
Um, I I didn't win them in the first week, and it's it, middle school is a tough place to win them back. High school, you know, you can recover from a rough start. Middle school is very difficult. I think, you know, with time I might have gotten good at it, but but that year I I was not. I spent all my passing periods or all my planning periods and you know, other colleagues' classrooms just watching, you know, these kids be awesome with them and just, you know, what do I got to do to do the same thing? Because it's not the kids, it's me. Like, I'm the problem here. Um, so you, you, you've moved adults and you, you go into a, a role as a professional development type role for your district, I assume? You know, no, it, it was just kind of getting emails from foreign language teacher conferences, state organizations, district coordinators, um, you know, I, I, in early days, I, I, I was kind of on the front edge of adopting kind of Web 2.0 and before we were calling it ed tech, ed tech stuff, you know, in non STEM classes in, in a world language class. And so yeah. um, we was sharing a lot of that. And, you know, that led to just kind of district and organization, regular ed tech stuff that was more content agnostic. And and it just was, ta- you know, taking up a huge amount of time and, and it just was too much to do both and do them both well. And sure. So I had to make a decision and, you know, just the timing of it, honestly, it, it was, I, I got a lot, pretty lucky because the timing of it was pretty poor, to be honest, that, you know, I said going in, my job is to hopefully, you know, me and people like me is to work ourselves out of a job that, you know, within five years, there should not be that many people going around being, you know, professional development consultants in the ad tech space, because we need to be building capacity to where people can do it themselves. And I think we've really got there a lot quicker than that. And and we've certainly had to in the last little while, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there has been a little bit of, uh, you know, necessity kicking in for sure. Sachin Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft said we developed two years worth of technology capacity or something like that in, in the last six weeks, uh, you know, in terms of advancement, you know, as a society out of a complete necessity. And I've said it on a couple different occasions. I think we just experienced the single largest professional development necessity uh, in human history where, uh, you know, not just hundreds, but literally maybe hundreds of thousands of educators had to learn how to teach at least, you know, we can call it emergency remote learning, we can call it remote learning, we can call it distance learning. But there's a lot of teachers that didn't do any of this stuff that didn't use uh, learning management systems and didn't know what Google Classroom was and, and, and or Brightspace or Schoology and didn't use Zoom or Google Hangouts or anything like that and had to learn all of this stuff. Imagine, imagine that. I'm on one hand totally with you on that. It's, it's been yeah. really amazing to, you know, watch those who are thriving with this new kind of learning that, that, that it was thrust upon them without choice, but that is pretty awesome for them. Like, it's been neat mm-hmm. to see. I, I also, I would push back a little bit in that, you know, th- this is, we are in a crisis. Yes. And, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, we, 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 you and I and folks who might be listening to this, are, we're all in different kind of filter bubbles. And, and the bubble that we're being filtered for is, is certainly one place that I, I, I suspect is putting a much rosier lens over what's going on right now than what a whole lot of people are experiencing. I had a fortune cookie from some takeout last week. And uh, my, my fortune says, 
Past inspirations and experiences will be helpful at work or school. Interesting. And, you know, applied to, you know, what you just talked about, you know, Microsoft, you know, saying, talking about how they've made two years worth of advances. I mean, who made those advances, right? And who was included in the decisions? And, and I'm not saying that there was time to slow down and do a lot of focus groups and user-centered design, but at the same time, you know, most of these people who are affected, and not just on the teaching side, but student side, you know, learners have, are having to learn how to be learners in these new contexts. And, you know, their past inspiration experiences, you know, are, are not necessarily teeing them up for success in, in, in work and school, right? And so I think that, yeah. I think there's a real need if there's ever an opportunity or for the folks who have the luxury to slow down and the ability to do something about it, you know, to, to pump the brakes a little bit and, and do some real user centered stuff and figure out what, what are people's past experiences? What are their inspirations? You know, what, what do we need to do in order to not just re, you know, kind of recreate school-based, you know, face-to-face learning in online environments, but how do we do it in a way that is, you know, in service of access, in service of equity, um, in, you know, opposition of historical inequities? How do we, how do we take this, you know, the opportunity that's handed to us to correct certain things, right? That, and it's not just for kids who are in school now. And what about, you know, the hundreds of millions of people who are out of school and are going to need to learn new skills? And I don't think that there's been a better time or a more obvious time where our privilege has become so apparent that, Mm. you know, I am fully aware uh, that my success at managing the current crisis has a lot to do with the fact that I'm a middle-aged white guy in Canada. Uh, And, you know, that makes me you know, pretty lucky and 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 blessed and fortunate in, in so many ways. You know, not to mention healthcare and and stuff like that come inclusive with living in the country I live in. It's astounding how obvious and clear the inequities have come up. You know, within students and their lives and and where they live, and what their parents do and who their parents are, positions and places that that make it really difficult to get by during the uh, crisis like this, right? Privilege is privilege because it, it's not afforded to the masses, right? It's the few. Right. It's not most people. Um, I, you know, I, I was, we're, we're running uh, through this organization I work with here in Colorado called Front Range BOCES. We ran um, a pilot here this spring of something that we called the, the Assistant Principal's Lounge, where we created sort of, you know, the idea of a teacher's lounge, but, you know, a lot of leaders don't have the you know, that in their workplace, but they still need it. Mm -hmm. And so we created a a virtual space for that. And, you know, just hearing what some of these, you know, assistant principals and principals, uh, you know, are are supporting their learning communities with, you know, very few conversations were around curriculum. Very few conversations were around assessment. I mean, people are talking about, you know, that one woman, you know, in the middle of our conversation gets a message from her school resource officer that one of their students who lives with dad, mom is in another country. And this young person who's in sixth grade is, is pretty much alone and goes to wake up dad and dad doesn't wake up, you know, and then we, 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 that's, we have students dealing with that. Right. And, and so, 
as great as, you know, certain technology solutions can be for ensuring that certain kinds of like content-based learnings are, are, you know, at least there's potential for them to be continuous. There is such a gap on just access to just SEL support, social emotional learning supports that, and so many other just kind of essential kind of, uh, um, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs type stuff that, right. that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you're not the only one who, who's really kind of centering on that as a need and a focus. Me too. I've been thinking a lot about, and I actually tagged you in a tweet recently about this, thinking a lot about language learning and language loss. Um, mm. It comes up every once in a while in like a more prominent way in Canada. We have a lot of First Nations people in Canada and in the United States as well. And I've been thinking a lot about how those groups are working to mitigate the language learning loss. And I'm thinking about the challenges related to teaching a foreign language. Was teaching Spanish 15 years ago easier than you think it is now uh, in the current climate with the current polarization? And certainly with, um, I'm, I'm in particular thinking of the current rhetoric where there is a decent amount of anti, you know, South America, anti-Mexico kind of rhetoric coming out. I'm, I'm curious if that has translated to language learning and learning Spanish. And you can't obviously speak to all of those issues, but certainly uh, I'm interested in how it's affected language learning specifically. Mm. Uh, I wonder if all teaching used to be easier because we had the way we did it. It was in service of the way we've always done it for the people for whom we've always done it. And you know, it was okay if if 40% didn't graduate, right? That was on them, not on us as a system. And so right. we had the way we do it, and this is what we do. And so in that way, yeah, it was probably easier. Um, and it was also, you know, deeply entrenched in racism. And, it was flawed. It was incredibly flawed. <laughs> yeah, so it is it, – but at the same time, there's other things that make things easier now. Like, you know, just – the research we have into learning is so much better, right? We can do stuff and see stuff that works and know why the stuff we have on engagement is, you know, night and day. I, I would not want to trade places with a teacher, you know, pre, you know, kind of computer era, right? Like that, I like, it was it was a very different world when I was using a vis-a-vis -vis marker on an overhead projector. Sure. Oh. I mean, specific to language teaching, and I think that, yeah, I mean, the racism is not new. I don't think that 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 a lot of the visible racism that we're seeing right now in our world is something that people kind of a flip switch and said, you know what, I'm going to be even more racist than I already was. I, I think that, you know, that there's been a kind of permission to let people know it. Mm -hmm. that we didn't used to have. And yeah, so, we're saying the quiet words out loud. We're saying the I love that. That's such a great way of putting it. Yeah. We're saying the quiet words out loud. And so, you know, I, is that affecting, you know, the study of language and culture? Maybe. I don't know necessarily if it's affecting it more than it already was before. The fact is, I think the bigger threats is, is people viewing it as an elective. Um, I, I think that in most parts of the world, it's an imperative. I mean, communication mm -hmm. is just so 
important. It is so much cheaper for us to go to another place and help them build a bridge and have them love us, you know, and want to be our friends than, than it is to fight battles. You know, war and conflict is expensive, you know, and not just in money. And, you know, the fact is, is that when we talk about building bridges, both real ones and, you know, as a metaphor, your communication is key. And, you know, that comes down to language and it comes down to culture. And so, you know, we're, you know, in the United States, in a lot of places, it is, you know, you're required to take two years to graduate high school, you know, and, and most of that's in service of colleges that um, require two years and, you know, as a baseline to apply to get in. And, you know, I don't think that's enough in most cases. I think that, you know, there's a real risk um, to the study of language and culture of people, you know, confusing uh, computer science as something that should count as a language, that, mm-hmm, that it mm-hmm. is, you know, that that's computational thinking and it's really important. And it's totally a different content area. You know, there, there's not the, the, the same thing around communication with other people through this, you know, and, and the study of culture, I think to, you know, the opportunities in, in teaching it that, that have changed something that's really different. I think now, as opposed to, you know, when I was going through school is there was a real focus on the language. And then, you know, on the second to last page of the chapter in the textbook, there'd be half a page, you know, of a picture of like, you know, some famous person who plays the drums, who's a Spanish speaker, right? And now, you know, it's more about people realizing that, you know, especially those of us who are teaching language that is our second language, you know, most of us didn't learn it because we fell in love with like the grammar. We we teach it because we fell in love with the culture. And so we share that love with the students. You know, it's the dance, it's the memes, it's the food, it's the greetings, it's, you know, just how humans are human together and the ways it's similar and different between there and here that that I think helps us fall in love with, with what we do and helps us help our students fall in love with it. And I think a, a, just one final piece of that is, you know, we help them see that it is another language. You know, that one another big kind of risk, I think, to language is, you know, that word foreign. You know, that there is an othering that happens there and, and you know, that, that mm-hmm. it's it's just a different language, not a foreign language. Like you said, no one learns Spanish or French or anything because of grammar and sentence structure. You, you learn it because you love the culture and um, that shared experience, right? The, the desire to immerse yourself in the thing that you've grown to love. Uh, I, I, I think of um, our friend uh, Rafranz Davis who learned Korean because she wanted to learn more. Like she BTS. fell in love with BTS. And so she learns Korean to immerse herself in that culture, um, you know, and, and, and connect with other fans, in particular uh, South Korean fans of that group. Um, and that's exactly, I think, what you're talking about and, and how people learn Italian when they go to Italy and learn how to cook. And then they, they come back and they're like, immersed in that lifestyle now in that that desire to be in it as opposed to just watching it on tv um do you think that there could be some backlash i mean we've seen it a little but Mm. i'm curious about how that might translate to foreign language learning uh, as well what do you think and that's a great question i i you know for all of the 
you know, very righteous reasons to be concerned about globalization. You know, your point about refrains and, and BTS, right, is one of the bright spots that we have access to, yeah. you know, not just ways in which people in other places are different from us, but ways in which they're the same and ways in which we can love one another. And so, you know, you have tens of millions of people who, you know, are, you know, BTS is a part of their identity, right? And so you're there and a lot of those people are young people. And so sort of, you know, when you cross over to other languages, Mandarin, Spanish, French, you know, when, when these young people are connecting with the culture, you know, it gives me a lot of hope that, you know, they're seeing through some of this more politicized hate. And it gives me a lot of hope that the kids get it. Mm. I'm curious what got you from being a high school Spanish teacher to a foreign language consulting and speaking to being pretty immersed and certainly a leader in the space of credentials and badging to the point where you run the Badge Summit, which is this great small conference related to digital credentials and badging. What got you from foreign language teaching to badging and credentials? The credentialing space is just really resonates with me because of storytelling and recognition. The, you know, what we, you know, the, the way we tell the stories of who people are as learners and achievers in education isn't getting the job done. Report cards don't do it. Uh, test scores don't do it. You know, and, and, you know, the whole point of those stories is to equip learners with a way of, you know, pass, telling that narrative to colleges, to employers, to, you know, potential dates, right? Like, how do we share these things about ourselves and what we know and what we've done in ways that are meaningful and trustworthy. And, you know, that there will be a lot of answers as, as the world moves. And, and I just am deeply, you know, believing that digital badge credentials is, is one of the right answers to that. And, you know, it's just such a real world problem. It's not something that like so much stuff in our space in education, where it's some, you know, solution that we came up with, you know, that the real world, didn't ask for. Like, this is a very big real world problem. You know, I, I think that specific to where it made sense to me as somebody who, you know, when I'm first reading about and learning about digital badging and, you know, the very first DML competition, digital media and learning, you know, where, where that just really connected to me was that we were doing work at the time in uh, my high school's language department where we were saying, you know what, in our department, the report cards shouldn't say Spanish one or Spanish two or Spanish three and then a grade. It should just have our name because what Spanish two means is so dependent on who they have for the teacher. We had no common curriculum, no common assessments. And, you know, uh, an A in my class might've been a C in somebody else's cause I'm a pushover. And so, you know, the, the report card, just the storytelling just wasn't getting the job done. And, you know, I'm not going to lie and act like we solved that in, in our high school oral language department. But, you know, that that's, I think to me, as that scene was burgeoning and I'm reading about it, it made a lot of sense to me because it, it just, w w had, there was immediacy, I guess, to something that was taking up a lot of oxygen in, in my space at the time. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the badge summit mm. uh, and then a little bit about you know, your your learning experience so far, uh, bringing it to a virtual conference. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm just really lucky to be in this kind of dorky, nerdy niche of a scene where I'm not the only one who believes that we're doing stuff that's nothing short of changing the world. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of, um, in my mind, justified audacity of people who are dreaming big and going for it. And a whole bunch of us are flopping and we're willing to tell those stories and, and Bad Summit's a place to do it, you know, and, all, and there's some people who are having successes and we're sharing those stories too at Bad Summit. And so, you know, it, it, it's in a lot of ways, it's a conference, but in a lot of ways, it's not, it's more of a gathering and it's a chance to share the work that's happening. It's a chance to collide with other people because like anything else that you're doing, that's, you know, kind of innovative and not yet mainstream you know, it's very easy to find yourself on an island and, you know, you could be in the most populous, you know, place in the world. But if you're in this space, like you need you, you might be the only person around you who's doing this. And, and this is just a great place to collide with other people who are interested in this and supportive. And th there's just such a community aspect to it that I mean, even with all I put into it, it could never happen without a bunch of other really passionate folks in the community who pitch in and are like, hey, we're, we're going to help make this happen. One of my favorite events to attend, I always say it's a collection of some of the smartest people that I know talking about something that's that's super interesting. Uh, and you always learn something at Badge Summit. So uh, I know in the show notes, we'll we'll put the, uh, a link to Badge Summit so people can register and hopefully attend even for the online version. And there's also a participate community on participate for the Badge Summit where people can kind of engage in conversation and talk to each other and, and share some of their experiences. And, and we're excited to support Noah with that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. And hopefully extend that community beyond the two days of the conference and, you know, create a, a kind of a clubhouse, if you will, for, for us to continue to gather synchronously, asynchronously, whenever exactly. and, and however we want to continue to learn and grow together. Mm. I am dying to talk about Hot for Teacher. I have a Hot for Teacher shirt. Um, <laughs> it's fun. And so tell everyone, if they've never even heard of this before, what is Hot for Teacher first off? I mean, for folks who are familiar with something like the Moth podcast or, you know, just more kind of general stories on stage, it, Hot for Teacher will be very familiar to you in, in that it's, you know, storytelling and it just happens to be that all our stories are being told by educators or former educators. And so, you know, we, we've uh, so far, everyone has been a live event. We'll see with this new world we're in, if some of them are going to be you know, moving into a virtual space. But, you know, at the time of this recording over the last three years, have done 10 live shows um, in Denver, D.C., New Orleans, Nashville. And uh, it's we, we are seeing on all this great audio and right now pretty close to finally releasing it as a podcast in its own right. The stories are anywhere from six to, you know, 10, 11, 12 minutes. And, mm. uh, you know, they, they're recorded in front of a live audience that is all over 21. Mm. Um, there is uh, definite profanity. There is definite inappropriateness. This is not a change the world. Um, don't talk about students type of podcast. <laughs> this is definitely uh, let off some steam and, and every teacher has these entertaining stories and some of them are willing to get up on stage and tell them. And it's really exciting for me to you know, provide that stage. 
So what drew you to the idea of doing it live? I mean, I, I mean, maybe you weren't always intending on doing it as a podcast. So the live show was, um, you know, always just the intent. And I'm not sure. So I, I, I'd love to know what drew you to um, saying we're going to do a live show where teachers tell stories and swear and drink. <laughs> and maybe I'm wondering if that's what you actually were thinking. <laughs> I, I think I, I think that kind of was what I was thinking. Um, I mean, anybody who, who's you know entrepreneurial knows this. People who who you know entrepreneurial you know kind of weans are not for everyone, you know. And so the, the, for those folks, know that like, people who have that kind of entrepreneurial kind of DNA going on for them, like, we, we are constantly thinking of ideas. You know, you, the stuff we you see us working on is you know, a drop in the bucket of stuff that we've jotted down on an idea notebook of things we could do. And oh boy. So this was really born out of, you know, something that was in my idea notebook. Nice. And, uh, you know, th- there's an amazing educator, Matt Miller, he at J Matt Miller on the Twitter. And you know, he and I have been buds for, for a long time and also a former language teacher. And he was doing these, uh, this conference that he called ditch summit. And, you know, now it's just blown up and taken over the world. This was the very first year he did it. And we recorded, he had, you know, these talks that he recorded and and mine was called don't get ready, get started. And it was all about, you know, kind of encouraging teachers to, you know, kind of have the audacity to believe in their own awesomeness and to, you know, forget the need to be a perfectionist, forget, you know, I'm not good enough, forget, you know, I have to plan this out and, you know, make sure that by the time I don't put it out into the world until it's ready for showtime and it's shiny and perfect. And, you know, it was all about, no, you need to just launch, you know, get it out there and then figure it out after you go. And so we recorded this talk and probably in October or something and in December, one day I wake up and my phone is just I'm blowing up with notifications like never before and never since, you know, the video just blew up and you had thousands of views and all these people writing in, asking me stuff. And it was like, okay, I feel kind of pressure now to walk the talk. And so, you know, while I have other stuff I have launched, I the Badge Summit, you know, being one of them and, and lots of other things, mm-hmm. I felt a need to do something fresh. And so I dove into the idea notebook to be like, okay, what, what do I got that I, you know, somebody, I don't have time, I don't have bandwidth, what can I do to get started on something instead of, you know, spending time getting ready and I saw that hot for teacher idea that I'd had a couple years prior and never done. I thought, you know what? I could probably find five friends in a show and we'll a venue and we'll put it on. And, yeah. And so we did. And right away, everybody's asking, you know, when's the next one? And so, you know, it very quickly turned into something. Okay. Let's do, let's record these and let's do it as a podcast. But um, yeah, it started as just a, I need to walk that. I need to, you know, kind of take my own medicine here and, and honestly, it's been a ton of work and a ton of stress, and it's a ton of fun. Like, I'm really glad that we've done it. And, you know, when folks start listening to these episodes, it could lead to me never getting work again in certain areas uh, because of what I'm associated with. But I think it also has potential to be a, a real thing. Right? These are some really great stories out there, you know? I, I've been lucky to have had the chance to listen to a bit of it, and uh, it's it's – it's different. It's not. It's raucous. It's yeah, <laughs> and I think that that's exciting. I, I I mean, on education is a little bit like that too, in the sense that we don't shy away from topics that are typically shied away from by educators. Um, 
you know, so it's, uh, I mean, we, we're not a drinking, swearing live show, but we're, we're certainly uh, doing something that's different as well. And, and I like that about Hot for Teacher. So where can people go to learn more about you if they don't know you, to connect with you, to um, learn about Hot for Teacher and Badge Summit? Um, give us all those details. The easiest way to get in touch with me is on Twitter at Senor G, S-E-N-O-R-G. I blog at medium.com slash at Senor G. You can try emailing me, Noah at thebadgesummit.com. And if I don't respond right away, you know, maybe just hit reply and just send it a second time uh, the next day because email and I are not good friends right now. I'm a little overwhelmed. But, uh, you know, thebadgesummit.com, the if you're interested in, you know, attending an amazing couple days of, of learning and sharing around digital badge credentials with some of the smartest people on the planet. Um, I think we have presenters from maybe six different countries right now. It's just going to be amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I'm always happy to connect, always happy to learn more about what other people are doing. You know, if you have stuff that you're doing that I think is awesome and can help shine a light on, would love to amplify you and your voice and your work. Um, Badge Summit is the Twitter handle and, and Instagram handle. Hopper Teacher is hopperteacherpodcast.com. And uh, speaking of podcasts, if you're into podcasts, a little project I started just to do uh, another thing that I took off my idea list when I was needing to pull away from work one day during this COVID quarantine is a new publication called The Pod Parlor, spelled uh, P-A-R-L-O-U-R. And you can check out The Pod Parlor on Twitter or the publications on Medium. It's a place to review podcasts. Oh, boy. And uh, so if, if you are listening to podcasts and want to review them and write about them, I will publish your stuff. And uh, there, there's a little game that I'm trying to see if it works called that I'm calling Parlor Games. Where we, uh, it's sort of like a book club for podcasts, where we listen to three podcast episodes of disparate uh, shows and, and, you know, try and connect them through the invisible thread uh, that, that brings them all together. Noah Geisel, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me and, and the opportunity to just kind of ramble and, and uh, rap with you, man. I, I really enjoy any quality time I can get with you and fun to kind of explore some, some new topics. Thanks for listening to Talks. My name is Mike Washburn. This podcast is produced by Participate, where the world learns together. Find out more at participate.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at participate.com. Connect with us on Twitter at Participate. You can connect with me directly at Mr. Washburn. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or in the Google Play Store. When you leave us a rating, it gives our rankings a boost and this helps others discover the show. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and we'll see you soon.